listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast by Dr. Robert Shaw. For a complete archive of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. Preaching through the book of Luke this summer. Luke chapter 6. Let me start by just asking this question. Have you ever been ripped off? You ever maybe ordered something? You know, infomercials are a billion dollar, multiple billion dollar a year industry. And, you know, sometimes you're tempted to order those. I've ordered some of those things, and sometimes you get something of value. Sometimes you get it and you're thinking, this is what I saw on television? I did some research this week on the Internet, and it's amazing how many consumer reporting agencies are doing investigations into some of those uh, um, infomercials. There's one that tells you if you put this belt on, that you will lose weight. The best I could figure is all you're going to lose is skin because it is going to burn you. There's another one where a guy encourages you to order something that you can put into your your uh, computer and it will teach you things like eBay and other things like that. And he says it's free. The only problem is like a month later you get a bill on your credit card and you cannot get him to stop charging you. There's other things for whether it's weight loss or you know, get rich quick, it's, it's a ripoff. In fact, it's, it's about like this. You know, to believe that something is true, to have something presented to you as being true, and then to find out that it's not is very disappointing. And on a bigger scale than that, what we're going to look at this morning is a passage of Scripture where Jesus is dealing with a group of people that had believed something not just for their entire life, but literally for generations. Y'all have heard now that the earth is not flat. It's round. We learned that in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. I wasn't alive at the time. But see, for generations, people thought the earth was flat. And then come to find out they were wrong. What Jesus is going to teach today, I, I call it a radical way of life. Because he is taking what people have believed for generations. And the people that he speaks to of that day believed this with all their heart. They believed it sincerely. They were just sincerely wrong. Let me begin by reading in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward in heaven is great. Your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. We've seen Jesus up to this point in Luke teach some but heal much. He's healed people of disease. He's healed people who couldn't walk. And crowds are flocking to Him. And it says that He takes this opportunity to to just have a seat and turn His gaze towards His followers and begin teaching them. Now, we know that other people are listening. In fact, this account is recorded over in Matthew's Gospel in verses in chapters 5 through 7. And we know that even in this passage, we're going to see 
turn and speak to the people who are not his closest followers. But I promise you what he's telling them is absolutely radical because it, it smacks in the face the tradition that they had always believed. But Jesus says to him, first of all, you're blessed. The word means supremely fortunate or well off. When you hear that word, what do you think? When you look at someone and you think, man, they've got it made. What blanks do you fill in that qualifies somebody that's got it made? Most of it's, it's well, they've got a big house or they've got a great job. They've got a lot of money in the bank. They've got good looks or they've got a talent or something. They're, they're the ones that are blessed. And then Jesus says this. He says, no. You're not blessed if you have those things. You're blessed, first of all, if you're poor. Wow. Do you think maybe that perked up the ears of the people that were listening to him to hear him say, because a lot of people that were very wealthy are listening to him, and I promise you they were all thinking, well, we're blessed. Jesus says, no, you're blessed if you're poor. Literally, if you're a beggar or a pauper. In fact, in Matthew's account of this story, he goes on to say poor in spirit. So not just in financial means, but literally if you just have the kind of spirit that's humble, either through financial means you've been humbled, or you just live your life that way, you're the one that are blessed. I think back to my childhood. I grew up in Macon, Georgia, and we didn't have shopping malls when I was very young. We had to go downtown to buy you know, clothes and that kind of thing. And I, I remember a lot of times on Saturday we would go to downtown Macon and there was a man there sitting outside of one of the department stores. You'd see him every Saturday. He couldn't walk. He had a guitar with a cup on the end of it. He was a beggar. And he'd play his guitar, but if you approached him to put something in his cup, he wouldn't look at you. He'd kind of look down at the ground and just almost as if he was too humble to even look at you as you place something in his cup. When I read this passage, I think about people like that that realize they're needy. And Jesus says, you're blessed. You're really fortunate and well off. In fact, James puts it this way in James chapter 2, verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? Jesus says, you're blessed, you're fortunate, you're well off if you're poor. Why? Because yours is the kingdom of God. See, rich people are building their own kingdom. One of the stories that Jesus tells is about a man that comes and approaches him who's rich. I mean, this actually happened. Not just a, a, a parable, but a man approaches him. We know him as the rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus. Do you know what his question was? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I have to do to get the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well... You know the commandments, and he listed just a few of them. And the man said, well, I've kept all those since my youth up. And then Jesus said this, then go and sell everything you possess. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. You remember what the man did? It said that at that, his face fell. His countenance fell. That arrogant approach to Christ fell because he had a choice to make. He had a decision to make. He had a bunch of stuff. And Jesus was asking him to give that up. Why? Because that stuff was keeping him from God. He was wealthy 
But folks, he had an arrogance that he was building his own kingdom, and he just wanted to add one more thing to what he already had. What must I do? Jesus says, give it all away. And he walked away sad. In fact, scholars tell us this is the only person that ever left Jesus sad. Most people that came to Jesus got healed. Most of them got a good word from Christ. In this case, this guy walked away. And I have to ask the question, where is he today? We never have a record of him coming back to Jesus saying, you know what, I thought it over, I've changed my mind, I'm going to give all my stuff away. No, this man's dead now and will spend eternity separated from God. Why? Because he had a bunch of stuff. Now, some people misquote the Bible because you've got to ask the question, is it, is it a sin to have money? The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. The people that Jesus is speaking against are those people who are self-sufficient, who don't need God because they got a bunch of stuff. And anytime we read this, most of us in here would say, well, he's not talking to me because I'm not rich. Well, let me say something to you. Even if you don't have money in a bank account, compared to the rest of the world, you're extremely wealthy. If you've ever had the opportunity to go and see how other people live, whether it be trips to Central America or trips to the Middle East or a trip to the Ukraine like I got to take. I had an interpreter that was 15 years old. He owned two pairs of pants. He made $15 a month. And that was the average wage of an adult, $15 a month. They weren't rich. And yet their prayers amazed me. The Christians that I met in the former Soviet Union, their prayers typically were about thanking God for how much God had given them. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you have nothing. You're poor. And yet, folks, they had, it. they had a lot. They recognized that if they had Jesus, they didn't need anything else. But Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. Then he says, blessed are you, are you who hunger now. As he looks around to the disciples and perhaps some other followers, he says, you know what? If you're hungry now, if you're craving now, you're blessed, you're fortunate, you're well off. Now, Matthew's Gospel adds to this, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Luke doesn't fill in those blanks. It appears that he's talking about just being well fed, but I think he has more in mind than that. If you recognize again that you are needy, you're fortunate, you're well off. The people who don't recognize that are the ones to be pitied. It's the people who recognize, I don't have it all. Let me just share a few details with you about hunger. There's 11 million people on earth that starve to death every year. In America, there are 34 million adults that are overweight. Americans will spend over $2 billion this year eating out. The average calories that an American consumes is 3,500. In Africa, the average is 2,100. This one got me. People who are continually hungry in Ethiopia, it's 20%. In the Sudan, it's 20%. In Mozambique, it's 30 to 40%. People who are continually hungry. In America, 20% of American adults are on diets. Why? 
Because we're overindulged. We're, we're wealthy. So be careful, America. Be careful, folks, who feel like I've got it all. You don't have to worry about where your next meal's coming from. You've got enough clothes that teenagers I hear from your parents. Some of the hardest things, especially for girls, and I hate to pick on you, but moms tell me, you know, one of the hardest things is get my daughter ready for school in the morning. Why is that? Because you stand at a closet full of, of clothes and say what? I don't have anything to wear. You know? It'd be easier if you only had one outfit. There's not a lot of choice. But we're wealthy and we're well fed. And Jesus says, you're really blessed if you have need. He said, blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you right now if there's a a tear in your eye. Blessed are you if you have wailed out loud over grief. For one day you're going to laugh. What would cause you to wail? I think it's more than just over a sad event that just occurred. Folks, I think we need to have a sober reality of what's going on around us. Does it bother you that there are people who are lost and don't know Jesus Christ? Have you shed a tear over the fact that there are people who, who if they died right now, they'd spend eternity separated from God? Does that bother you? Does it cause you to have a tear in your eye and really just a mournful spirit in your heart. And Jesus says, you're blessed if that's happening to you now because one day you're going you're gonna to laugh. Literally, you're going to be comforted one day. And then he says, kind of changes the subject a little bit. He's kind of talked a little bit about kind of external things of, you know, wealth, money, or food, or, or whether you've, you're grieving over something. Then he says this, he really pronounces a blessing for the persecuted, and he puts them into four categories. And maybe we can identify with this one a little more. He said, blessed are you when people hate you. Literally, people detest you. Now, folks, it's one thing if you give people a reason to hate you. But if the reason they hate you is because you're a Christian, Jesus says, blessed are you. Because he goes on to say, if you're hated on account of the Son of Man, on account of me. Why do people hate Christians? In John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, it says, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. There will be people that just because you claim the name of Christ, they're not going to like you. And it's because they get real uncomfortable when the light approaches their darkness. And so they'll hate you. second thing they'll do is they'll ostracize you. You're blessed when people ostracize you. That literally means to set off boundaries. It means they have set up walls around themselves and you. They have cast you out. The word means to throw out. They've excluded you. Now, don't answer this out loud, but when's the last time you've been ostracized? Because I hear that. Some people say, you know, the lunch table I used to sit at at school, they don't want me sitting there anymore. The parties I used to get invited to, I don't get invited to anymore. Some people have lost their job for no other reason than they've taken a stand for Jesus Christ. 
and you've made people uncomfortable. So they ostracize you. They exclude you. They keep away from you. Third thing they'll do to persecute you is they'll insult you. One thing to not get the invite to the party or maybe to lose your job, but now they're going to insult you. They, they defame your name. They make fun of you. And the last thing they do to persecute you is they scorn your name as evil. It's a similar word to being ostracized. It still has that concept of being thrown. And to be ostracized means you're thrown out of the club. This is they've taken your name and thrown it out as being evil. They scorn your name as evil. And again, it's one thing if you've given people a reason to do that. You know, if you're in middle school and just won't take a bath, that's one thing. But if the reason you're being insulted, if the reason you're being ostracized, if the reason that people exclude you and say bad things about you and insult you is because of the fact that you're a Christian, Jesus says, if it's on account of the Son of Man, and he uses that term to describe himself 26 times just in this gospel. A total of 80 times throughout the gospel. In fact, every time the word or the phrase Son of Man is used, it's used by Christ describing himself except for one time in Acts. When Stephen is being put to death with rocks, he's being stoned to death. He looks up and he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus prefers that term to describe himself. But he says, if these types of persecutions occur to you because of my name, then you're blessed. Consider it pure joy. In fact, he gives them a specific detail. He said, leap for joy. That sounds like the opposite of our human nature. Oh, you don't like me? Great. <laughs> you're talking about me behind my back? I couldn't be happier. You're firing me for my job because I'm a Christian? That's wonderful. That just that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet Jesus says, leap for joy. Why? Because you've got a reward waiting you. Right now, all you've got is the favor of men. And if you lose that, big deal. Because in eternity, you have a reward waiting for you. And your reward is great. In fact, I love the testimony of the apostles Peter and some of the apostles, the disciples, are standing up preaching and they come to him in the book of Acts and tell him, quit preaching, quit claiming the name of Christ, quit telling people about Jesus. And they wouldn't quit doing it. And so they beat him. They beat him and warned him, this is going to happen worse next time if you don't quit talking about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 5 it says this, So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. That's a hard attitude to have, and yet that's a godly attitude. So Jesus is speaking to a group of people that fit all of these categories, and around them are the people, some of whom were doing the bad stuff to them. You know, it's easy to avoid persecution. Just act like everybody else. If you don't stick out, a lot of people won't persecute you. And I've tried that before. It's very frustrating because you're not living for God at that moment. You've kind of put your light under a basket and you're just trying to act like you're like everybody else. Folks, you're not like everybody else. If you're a follower of Christ, don't be ashamed of that. Let your light shine so that other people could come to Christ and other people could glorify God because what they see in you. Then he goes on to the pronouncement of curses and 
He kind of takes the same four things that he just told them and then pronounces these woes. And I don't know what you think of when you hear the word woe. If the brakes don't work on your car, maybe you say, whoa. I don't think any of you rode like a mule or a horse here today, but we used to say that, you know, whoa. <laughs> and it's really a bit of a warning, but you know what it really is? It's, it's, it's an exclamation of grief. It's an expression of regret. Jesus didn't, didn't just hit him over the head with a 50-pound Bible here. It broke Jesus' heart that as he looked around him, he didn't just see poor, hungry, persecuted people. But he saw some of the rich, self-reliant, arrogant people who were doing some of the things he was talking about to these people. So he says to them, woe to you if you're rich. If you're literally abounding with wealth. Wealth, why? Because you've already received your comfort. If you don't recognize you need something, you won't come to God for Him to provide that need. So woe to you if you're rich, because it's going to be real tough for you to come to Christ. Jesus put it this way in one account. He said it's easier for a rich man to get into heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Now again, is there something wrong with being rich? Not if God's given that to you and you're using it according to His plan. But folks, if it has provided for you self-reliance, then it's a scary thing for you. Because you won't turn to God. In fact, I've watched people in church before who God has blessed them. And they forget about God. And they start using their money to take them places other than church. And they fall out of fellowship not just with the church, but out of fellowship with God. Woe to you if you're well fed. If you're filled up and satisfied now, I pity you. Why? Because you're going to be hungry one day. See, that's that same inner hunger that you've been able to satisfy, one day you're not going to be able to satisfy it. And because you haven't turned to God, you're going to be out of resources. Woe to you who laugh now. Literally, a laugh is a sign of satisfaction. You know what I noticed about the world? The world laughs at the wrong stuff. I spoke to a group of middle schoolers in Virginia one year, and the teacher that I was speaking for, this was a group of troubled students, and the teacher was scared to death that me as a preacher, I was going to say something about Jesus because it was a public school, and I said, chill out, I'm all right, I'm just going to get up and talk about Jesus. Scared her to death. Well, they had this little program that the high schoolers were putting on before I got up to speak, and the students were so rude. Some of the stuff these kids were doing that was supposed to be funny got no laugh, just stone-faced. And people were snickering at them, making fun of them. It wasn't until one of the girls that was doing a flip hurt herself that they laughed. And the teacher looked at me and she said, nail them to the wall. <laughs> like, pull out all the stops. Well, at that point, I recognized they're just like the world. The world doesn't laugh at funny things anymore. They laugh when somebody gets hurt. And Jesus says, Woe to you who laugh now. And I think one of the things Jesus is saying is, don't you see the people who need me? Don't you see the poor and the hungry and the persecuted? How can you laugh in the face of that? Because you're not going to be laughing. You know, the world says what? He who laughs last laughs best. Well, in some ways that kind of applies here. Jesus says, look, if you're mourning now because you ought to be mourning, one day you're going to be comforted. 
But right now, if you're just comfortable and satisfied and you're laughing at all the wrong stuff, one day is when you're going to be having tears and it's going to be too late. And then last, woe to those who are popular. Literally, woe if all people speak well of you. Some people, it is their goal in life. I'll do whatever it takes for you to like me. And folks, if you're willing to do that, you will compromise. Because if you claim the name of Christ, there's people that just won't like you. And Jesus says you're blessed. So don't try to do whatever it takes to get people to like you. Now, don't be obnoxious on purpose. But if you living the Christian life causes people to talk about you or not like you, you're blessed. In fact, be a little afraid if you don't encounter some of that along the way. If everybody speaks well of you, guess what? He, he used in the last thing about you're blessed if people persecute you because you're in good company. They did the same thing to the prophets. The men of God, the women who came and pronounced the truth, they persecuted them too. In fact, ultimately, they would persecute Christ and put Him to death on a cross. But he says, you know what, if everybody speaks well of you, they used to do that to the false prophets, the people who came and lied and deceived people in the name of God. They used to love them and talk real good about them. So those are the woes. And then lastly, just I love the practical model of life. Just three verses. Let me read these for you. Verses 27, 31, and 36. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Verse 31. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Verse 36. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This morning, in the last few months, I just want to encourage you those three things. Let's do those this week. Try this. First one, love your enemies. In fact, the word that he uses for love here, there's several of them in the Greek language. He doesn't use the word for like brotherly love. In other words, don't just have tender affection for him. But he says have agape for him. And folks, that only comes from God. The only way you can love your enemies is if you have the mind of Christ and he's loving them through you. You know what? Some people are hard to love. I have to pray this sometimes. God, please allow me to see them the way you do. Because right now I'm struggling loving them. Because they're what? They're my enemies. They're the ones that hate me. They're the ones that are spitefully using me. They're the ones that are against me. They're talking about me behind my back. God, how can I love them? And then I'm reminded, God loves me when I've done worse things. Love your enemies. In fact, do good to those that hate you. What are some practical things you can do that would be good to somebody that hates you? First, pray for them. Pray for them. And you don't go up to them and say, I'm praying for you. <laughs> you know, don't use it as a sledgehammer to hurt them. But pray for them. Don't return evil for evil. And ultimately, show them God's love. Then he says this, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. You see, the, the world would say, I've seen this on posters, do unto others before they have an opportunity to do unto you. 
That's kind of the world's way. In fact, it's really more than just saying treat others the way they treat you. See, the way we treat people is almost contagious. If somebody's sarcastical towards you, then you want to be sarcastic back. If somebody uses negative humor towards you, it's just the human response to be negative back. And so Jesus is proactive and He's saying, look, don't just treat people the way they treat you. You treat people the way you'd want them to treat you. If you don't want people saying bad stuff about you, don't say bad stuff about them. Even if they're saying bad stuff about you. And then last, be merciful. Literally compassionate. The word mercy means this. It means not getting what you deserve. See, he's already said treat people the way you want them to treat you. Don't, don't treat people the way they deserve to be treated. Don't even treat people in, in response to how they treat you. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Puts it all in a nutshell. Be merciful. And he makes it real specific. Just as your Father has shown mercy to you. Folks, God has not dealt with you as you deserve to be dealt with. Why? The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6, 23, it says, The wages of sin is death. What you earn by being a sinner is death. That's what you deserve. If you stand before God today, don't cry out for justice. God, I demand that you treat me with justice because justice means you're dead. In fact, to satisfy the justice of God, He had to pay the penalty for your sin through Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We don't cry out for justice, folks. We cry out for mercy. And Jesus says, just as your Father, your Heavenly Father has been merciful towards you, be merciful towards other people. Show them God by the way you're being merciful. And that totally went against the philosophy of the day. That one Roman philosopher said, mercy is the disease of the soul. In the culture that Jesus spoke this, mercy was looked at as a weakness. In fact, in the Roman system, when a child was born, the father got to decide whether it lived or not by a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Mercy was weakness in their mind. But the dad didn't like whether it was a boy or a girl or the way it looked or he just already had enough children, he would put his thumbs down, kill the child. That's the culture that Jesus is speaking into. And he's saying, show mercy. Don't treat people the way they deserve to be treated. Mercy doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And you can practice mercy. Just a practical way as I close. You can practice mercy in physical acts. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 25 and he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. I was a stranger and you befriended me. I was naked. You gave me something to wear. And he ultimately went on to say, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. We can show mercy through physical acts. We can also show it through attitudes. Show mercy to people by not holding grudges. Don't have resentment. Don't capitalize on their weaknesses or failures. See, it's human nature when somebody's bothering us, when they finally mess up. It's human nature to shine a light on it so that everybody knows about it. Don't capitalize on that. Show mercy. Protect their reputation. Don't publicize another sin. Show mercy. And if you ever struggle with that, 
Just ask God to remind you how much mercy He's shown you. He hasn't treated you the way you deserve to be treated. He's given you mercy. And beyond that, not only has he, not, has he given you something you didn't, or he didn't give you what you did deserve, he gave you something you didn't deserve. He's given you grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, even how practical it is today. God, help us to identify with the, the teachings of Christ. And Lord, specifically those last three thoughts of loving our enemies. God, help us. God, show us the way you see people and how desperately needy they are for you. In fact, maybe the reason they have become an enemy is because they see something in us that reminds them of you. And right now they're lashing out at that to see if it's real or not. Then, Father, help us to treat other people the way we'd want them to treat us. Not how they are treating us, but the way we'd want them to treat us. And then lastly, Father, Help us to show the same kind of mercy toward others that you've shown to us. God, apply these truths to our life is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to...